So I was homeschooled. Some accused me of being socially challenged. We grew up in East Texas at a camp for emotionally disturbed teenagers, homeschooled through fifth grade. My dad took a job working with Buckner Children's Home in Amarillo, which has ties to the history of this church, and he served there for a year. And I was homeschooled there through sixth grade. When we moved back to East Texas, my dad went back to the camp my parents said, it's time, Sam, we're going to put you in school. To say I was awkward is an understatement. The students, some of you all have heard me share the first day of class for me in seventh grade. A girl, which I lived in the boonies. Like, uh, I went to a little church, Bodark Baptist Church. Very few other kids my age in the youth group. No girls, like, around my age that I was interested in. All of a sudden, I'm around all of these girls. And it's seventh grade, right? And a girl came and asked me what books we needed for class. And I physically cried literally trying to respond to her middle school lunchroom is already just a hard thing to think about right at lunch I sat alone for the first few weeks I would sit alone eating my lunch I didn't know anybody I didn't know how to talk to anybody I didn't want to cry more trying to talk to people no, um, yeah. And then a guy by the name of Luke Henderson got up and he walked over and he said, Sam, come sit with us. Now, Luke was a class clown. In fact, back in the day when they used to do that, uh, we don't do class favorites anymore. And I think there's a reason for that, uh, partly because we've we see enough of that with social media anyway, right? But it just happens. Uh, he won class clown every year all the way through. Which meant he picked on me a lot, and sometimes even publicly. But he really did invite me in to his friend group. And it impacted my life in a significant way. Now for me, anytime I'm in a school lunchroom, you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about that kid. Uh, because that kid was me. And I don't know if for you, uh, that is you. Um, maybe you've seen that person as an adult, right? I know I just talked about social media. We're in a culture right now, you can't get away from it almost. Like, Okay, maybe your light got 20, your, your light, your picture got 20 likes for Christmas, but your neighbor's family Christmas picture got 80 likes. And you feel like, what, what did I do wrong? Like, I'm just an outcast socially. I, I, don't, I don't know for you if you feel like you're 
not received by the people you're around, if you feel like, uh, if, if the people here in the room really knew me, they wouldn't have let me in the door. If all of your life you've struggled, right, with, okay, my appearance, my performance, uh, my, do I talk about me being social awkward too much? I've got the issue, right? I want you to see, I want you to see today, and as many of you in the church have been very encouraged, here, here's, what, here's the journey we've been on. We just started the book of Mark two weeks ago. First Sunday of the new year, we went to Jesus in Mark chapter 1 after a crazy busy day, starting off his day in a personal time of prayer. And we challenged you to do that with us this year and just try the first three months to read through the book of Mark with us. And so many of you have jumped in. So some of what I'm talking about this morning, many of you have read with us over the last few weeks. Last week, we then jumped into chapter one and we saw Mark start the gospel by calling it a gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ being the Messiah, the Son of God, and then Jesus show up on the scene early in chapter one preaching the gospel and saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? And he says repent and believe the gospel. So last week, we said, okay, let's time out as we start this book and we say, what is the gospel? And we said, there, there is a real kingdom and a real king. He is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. He, he loved you so much in his love and by his grace. He came and he lived a perfect life. He died in your place and he rose again. And then Jesus' words, repent, believe the gospel. And then he calls followers to follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. That's what he said in chapter 1. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, on those few words, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's interesting that Jesus said, you follow me and I'm going to make you. I'm gonna, there's something I'm going to make you what? A fisher. I'm, from the very beginning, Jesus, for his followers, he was going to make you a multiplier. He was going to, through your life, I mean, it's like the Great Commission before he said it. Uh, he sent his disciples out to make more disciples. And this was his plan from the very beginning, right? And Jesus said, Jesus said, okay, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going I'm to send you into a, uh, the lunchrooms of life, and I'm going I'm to have you invite people you're, you're going to become fishers of men. I'm going to have you invite people to the kingdom table. In the first six chapters of Mark are full of Jesus going to people that have a whole lot of problems. People that you would think are the last ones on the list to be invited to his table in the kingdom lunchroom. You, you've got the, the possessed by the demons, not just people that have a bad attitude and are just kind of tough to hang out with, like demon-possessed people. Jesus goes to them, he casts out the demons and they follow him, not the demons, the people. And then he goes to the sick, maybe you remember in the Christmas series we looked at the story of the blind man and, and the disciples asked Jesus, 
Uh, who was it that sinned, this man or his parents, to cause them to be blind, right? The, the sickness was associated with sin. Like these would have been the people in the culture that they were looked at as, man, they've done so much wrong, they've got this physical problem now. And Jesus goes to them, he heals them, and he invites them to follow. Like these are the people that Jesus is inviting to his table in the lunchroom of the kingdom of God. So here, here's, the, here's the big question I, I want to ask as we go into reading in chapter 2. Because in chapter 2, he's really going to summarize why he's doing it this way. If Jesus has invited, if you're in the room and you're a follower of Jesus, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So I want you to ask if you're a follower of Jesus, what kind of men and women, by the way, that word fishers of men is anthropoi, it really means people, it's women included. I'll make you fishers of people. What kind of people was Jesus fishing for? And, and is that really happening in my life? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you actually think there's no way I could be in, because I am messed up, because I've got so many problems, physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever, I can't wait for you to see. I can't wait for you to see what Jesus says today. Stand up with me. We're going to start reading middle of chapter 2. Jesus has just supernaturally healed a man in Peter's house. Remember, Peter was Mark's source, we believe. Mark traveled with Peter. He just healed a man in Peter's house that was dropped down by four friends from the roof. Y'all remember that story? And then we read these words, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. He, Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he, Levi, rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in the middle school lunchroom, in, a, in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors that were not jocks, and weren't very good looking, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard it, and he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. If you're able to get on your knees, I'm going to invite you to your knees just to a posture of humility, asking God, placing yourself below Him. If, you, if kneeling is hard for you, you can just sit down. That's completely fine. For those of you in the room right now that don't feel like you're enough, that you feel like an outcast, 
I, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you see the love of Christ for you today. And God, I pray also for those in the room that actually think they are enough, that actually may look down on other people in their legalistic view of what life is supposed to be. They think they're actually better. God, I pray that you convict hearts today, that, that, the, the, that Jesus, Holy Spirit, would do what, what we can't. And then for those of you in the room, again, online, uh, those of you in overflow, I'd invite you, you'd also pray for me. Pray that God would help me, that the Spirit would use me as a conduit for His truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Who does Jesus invite to sit at His table in the kingdom of God. Verse 13. He, Jesus, went out again beside the sea. Why does Jesus keep walking out? Again, what he had just done was heal. And as you read at the beginning in that story where they lower the man through the roof to Jesus, by the way, tearing a hole in Peter's house, his roof. Of course, he would remember that story because he had to fix it. Lowering this man to Jesus, right? The crowds were so, they would press in around him. And so Jesus at times would retreat to pray in a desolate place. Other times he would go by the sea. The reason he would go by the sea was to teach. They didn't have microphones back then. And the sea, if you've been to Galilee, maybe your guide actually showed you this, but the water actually works as a natural amplifier. There wasn't a big amphitheater in that area, so he would go out by the water, and his voice would be amplified by the water, and he could teach. So he went out to teach just outside of Capernaum, the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and then he walks back into the city, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the what? Tax booth. This man was a tax collector. Matthew and Mark tell us his other name was, anybody want to tell us? Matthew. Some of you tell me. Mark will also call him Matthew in chapter 3. At this point in time, a lot of people had two names they would go by. The guy who's writing the letter, Mark, was named John Mark in Acts. He had two names. Peter, who's relaying this message to John Mark, was Simon Peter. So this is Matthew Levi or Levi Matthew? Levi was a tax collector. To understand the tax collector at this point in time is still a stretch for me. A few things that I learned this week about why they would have been hated. The Roman oppressing government would allow you to bid. They didn't force you to be a tax collector. You could bid for the booth 
basically. There were two different kinds of tax collectors. There was a tax collector that would do income tax, and then there was a toll tax, the ones that would be on the road like Jesus is walking right now, and if there was an exchange of goods going on, that tax collector would take money for Rome, but Rome would only have a quota that he had to meet, and then past that, it was his. And so the tax collectors were extortionists. They would lie and cheat people out of extra money, some of it to give the oppressing government Rome, some of it to keep for themselves. But they would bid for that role. They would, they would pay money to get in that position so they could make more money. And the people hated the tax collectors. In fact, the tax collectors were seeing this so bad. I read this week out of a commentary that was showing an ancient document around this time that listed tax collectors in lines with murderers and robbers. For the religious, if a tax collector, for the Jewish religious leaders, like we're going to read about in a second, if a tax collector were to be in your home, your home was then considered unclean until another religious leader came and did some ritualistic cleansing of your house just because that's how bad they saw the tax collector. Y'all see? Like this guy, this guy was not just an uncool kid sitting in the lunchroom of life. This guy was the evil person, the evil person in the city, the school. And Jesus walks up to Matthew, Levi, the tax collector sitting at the booth, and he said to him, what? Follow me. Follow me. Again, to emphasize even what's going on here at this point in time, if you were to want to follow a rabbi, uh, usually the one who wanted to be an apprentice would go through a process of trying to cleanse themselves and to try to learn and get better so that when they ask the rabbi if they could follow the rabbi, the rabbi would approve of them. And so they had already tried to look good and then they would be the one asking. Jesus does it the other way around and goes to the worst person on the street. And he says, follow me. What? And he rose and he followed him. Wow. Verse 15. And as he, Jesus, reclined at the table. The table. Okay, if you think middle school lunchroom table is a big deal, for the Jew, the table was even a bigger deal. Those you ate with were those who you approved of and were saying, I am accepting them into my friend group, my intimate friend group. Which some of you think that is what middle school lunchroom was. Like it's that plus some. Like it's what the culture would even say the table was for. And Jesus, Jesus is now reclining at the table in, notice this word, I had two people this week reach out there doing the Bible reading and say, hey, I've never noticed Jesus' house referred to as his. Now, this is actually debated specific in this verse. Uh, some will say it's actually Jesus' house that's being talked about here. Others will say it was Levi's house that's being referred to. If it was Jesus' house, you know who Jesus is, was living with at the time? Peter, 
So there was Peter's house, maybe, or Levi's house. Either way, he's in the home of a tax collector, or he's invited the tax collector, but what? not just one, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. What? Jesus, don't you know the way this is going to look to the world? You recognize, you're, you're, you're hanging out with the kids that aren't making the good grades. What's going on? Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. All right, if you're taking notes, those with problems, and we see it all over these first six chapters, the spiritual problems, the physical problems, the social problems, the ones who were the problem people around Jesus. Like if you were to look at the, the culture, those with problems were invited in to the kingdom to sit at the table with Jesus. What? Jesus. Okay. When I came to the church, um, so cool for me to get to know some that were on the, the, the team that brought me to the church. Some of them are in this room right now. And the team that brought me to the church, the pastoral search committee, uh, five years ago, they gave our family a gift. It was a gift card to help us pay for housekeeping for a little while so that when we would invite people over in our church, we could have help cleaning the house. Now, in our home, we had never had a housekeeper like this this was really cool not not because we didn't uh, anyway I'm not trying to complain we just had never done that for those of you in the house here in the church that have hired a housekeeper you know what you do before a housekeeper comes <laughs> yes who said that yes you know what you do before a housekeeper comes you clean your house what yeah so Heaven forbid the housekeeper see a mess, right? So something happens when we, 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 we hire the housekeeper. We clean the house for like several hours before the housekeeper came. Now, why do I bring that up? Because there's so many people that think in order to get close to Jesus, I've got to clean the house. You don't have to clean the house. You've got to know your house needs cleaning. And you've got to recognize, I've got a problem. And that, that's why I need a Savior, right? If you're here in the room, if you're here in the room right now, and you think you're not a good enough to sit at Jesus' table, I've got really good news. Accepting the outcast was one of Jesus' defining characteristics. Attraction to the unattracted is what we see in the life of Christ. Picking losers over winners. He loves the unlovely. He cleans the unclean. This is what Jesus does. Can I say our world right now is longing for what Jesus offers? I've said it this way, they want the kingdom but not the king. 
And I'm going to talk about two things, and this is going to sound political, but I'm trying to point towards the message here for a second. So hear this. We have these two things happening right now, going on in our culture. One saying, I want you to accept, and not just accept, to affirm anything that I desire and say that is good. And then we have another part of our culture the, the Me Too movement right now is one of the ways that this came to light. Me Too. Saying, hey, you can't do just what you desire because that hurts people. You can't do that. And so we have one crying out, hey, accept whatever I desire. And another side saying, no, hey, actually what we desire will probably hurt people if we just go and do it all hurt me or hurt you how do we find something in between you know what our culture needs right now our culture needs Jesus and FYI followers of Jesus who are fishing for men in the same way that say hey I am going to love the unlovely and I'm gonna bring you to Jesus because when you see Jesus you're gonna repent and follow him and stop doing things that will hurt you and hurt others do you understand how the, the world needs the Jesus that you and I have? They actually want it, but they can't have the kingdom without the king. Those with problems are invited in. Those with problems, if you're a mess, you don't have to clean up. Jesus comes to the mess, and then he cleans the mess up. Some have said it this way, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. But you can't change it until Jesus. Those with problems are invited in. Keep going. I want you to see now who's not sitting at the table. And the scribes of the Pharisees, whew, this is the first time the Pharisees have showed up. And this is the scribes of the Pharisees, the ones that were like going around with the Pharisees, they would record scripture, but they weren't just recording scripture, they were recording all the tradition and the additional legalistic rules that the Pharisees had. I want you, if you have your Bible, skip forward, I'm going to read you some verses out of chapter 7, because it really defines the life of the Pharisee, the ones that are not going to be at the table with Jesus at the end of the story. Chapter 7 let me read for a while, but listen, listen to what was going on in the Pharisee's life. And be bold enough to ask yourself, do you see any of this in you? Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly holding to the tradition of the elders. Not the Bible. This is additional teaching, tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and, notice, dining couches where people would sit to eat. Sit to eat. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, 
but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. That passage really helps me because the Pharisees were not just trying to obey the Bible. They had, they had taken all of this additional teaching, and I think it initially was intended good so that, that, that it would help people obey the Bible. But then they were teaching all this tradition, and it became legalism that was controlling people's lives and saying, you've got to live that way in order to be in. Back to verse 16 of chapter 2. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, look at who's, his, who's at the table in the lunchroom. I mean, they're like, ooh, look at that. That ever happened in your middle school lunchroom? Does it happen in your office? Said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why? Why is always a good question to ask, right? Why, Jesus, are you doing that? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The first part of this quote, Jesus does this many times in the book of Mark. He is going to use a teaching that the scribes believe. This was an ancient proverb we have in other writings outside of the Bible. And it makes sense. People that need a doctor are people that are, what? Sick. But he takes that teaching and he shows the religious leaders that you're misunderstanding what God would need to do. If he were to come into the world, he would need to go to people that are sick. Watch what he says then next. I came not to call the, what's the word? Righteous, but the sinners. Here's the deal. The Pharisees weren't righteous. They saw themselves as righteous. Uh, Another way of saying it, they were self-righteous. They were trying to earn their own righteousness. And so they would look down on anyone else that was not doing what they thought they should do to be righteous. And so, Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, and they think they're righteous, but sinners. Is anyone not a sinner? No, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here we go. Those with problems, at least those who know they've got problems, are invited in. Hopefully those of you in the room, right, y'all know you've got problems? (laughs) Those with pride are left out. Pride, why did he use the word here, pride? Do you feel that you are better? Anybody watch the movie, the movie, not movie, show Office? Yeah, the, the TV show Office. Yeah, we, yeah, that didn't come out good, but here we go, Office. Third season of The Office, Michael Scott, played by Steve Carroll. He is an incredibly prideful person, and he does not know it. 
Here's one of the ways it came out. He was being interviewed by another company that would actually be a promotion for him. He walks into the office. The first question that the interviewer asks him is tell us some of your strengths. Michael's response, here we go. Why don't I tell you some of my greatest weaknesses? I work too hard, I care too much, and sometimes I can be too invested in my job. (laughs) The guy across the table kind of looks at him funny. And he says, okay, so what are your strengths? Michael says, well, my weaknesses really are strengths. Some of you in the room are really this way and you don't know it. And it's going to keep you from Jesus. Y'all know what tomorrow is? Tomorrow is what for our country we celebrate Martin Luther King Day. You know what prejudice is rooted in? Prejudice when you see someone as less than you. Prejudice is rooted in self-righteousness. Martin Luther King said at one point, let no man pull you low enough to hate him. Prejudice, when you look down on someone else, what you're actually doing is saying that I am better. You cannot be self-righteous and sit at the table with Jesus. I don't know if it's a skin color thing for you, and for many it still is. There's this prejudice where you look down on someone based on an ethnicity or nationality. Maybe for you it's based on how someone votes. There's this literally I'm better. Maybe it's the, they go to a Methodist church. Presbyterians? Oh, I'm, I'm non-denominational, so I'm much better than all the denominations. <laughs> what? Y'all see it comes out in so many levels, so many ways. Those with pride, self-righteousness, looking down on others. If that's where you are, you're left out. The only way you can get there is realizing, ah, I've got problems. So here's how I want to challenge our church, and then I want to invite you, if that's you, sitting far away right now. Church, uh, one of the most convicting things for me to read this week was just reading, again, I was reading around the historicity of the tax collector. And do you know by Jewish law, a tax collector could no longer be a witness in court or go to synagogue. Church family, if we are following Jesus and fishing for men like Jesus is, we should be looking for the people with problems in our community and inviting them to sit at our table, right? So here's the question, who's at your table? Who's at your table? If, if in your life, the only people at your table are people that you think are good enough, 
or look like you or make the same grades as you or, or on the same sports team as you. Like, that doesn't to me just, there's something that rubs that's not Jesus-like, right? Who, who's at your table? I'm praying that our church would be filled with the outcasts in our community and that actually more people who aren't outcasts would actually realize they are apart from Jesus. That there would be a humbling of the self-righteous and that we would all recognize that at the table of Christ, he's the one that makes us righteous, right? And then for the rest of you, if you feel like you're left out, pray right now with me. God, I thank you that you sent your son. God, I thank, I thank you for Luke Henderson in my life, seventh grade. God, I thank you that he invited me to sit at the table with him and how much that impacted my life. But that's nothing like this. That Jesus has invited our names to be written in heaven. That, that some have said actually that this story is like a precursor to the marriage supper of the Lamb where you're gonna be sitting with all of these people who recognize they have problems and that you have come to save them. God, I pray, I pray that the people here in the room right now that have all their life, for, for whatever reason, thought that they're not good enough, that right now they'd hear you say to them, follow me. In Jesus' name, amen.